Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2020. My name is Michael Aminato and this is a recap of the 2019 Russian Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. The Ferrari car with its powerful engine, as it was last year, was on track for a strong 1-2 finish in Sochi, but its race unravelled when Sebastian Vettel appeared to renege on a pre-race agreement with Charles Leclerc. The team had arranged for Vettel, starting from third and immediately behind his pole-sitting teammate, to slipstream into the lead off the line to make sure Mercedes couldn't jump both cars. The plan worked perfectly, with Vettel leading a Ferrari 1-2 ahead of Leclerc, but when time came to swap the positions back, suddenly Sebastian wasn't so willing to cooperate. To swap the positions manually, Ferrari was forced to use strategy against its own driver, against Vettel, pitting Leclerc early to give him the undercut and get him his lead back. But then, when Vettel's car stopped on track with a power unit problem, he triggered a virtual safety car that handed Lewis Hamilton a cheap pit stop and the victory after all. To dissect the intriguing results, I was joined by renowned statsman Sean Kelly. We did see Mercedes struggling a little bit with operating these tyres on what is a very smooth surface and... They just seem to lack that kind of bite and pace we normally expect to see, at least across the long run, certainly on the soft tyre, although this is where we started to see the path towards their race strategy emerge, because on the medium tyre, it seemed like they had a little bit more going for them. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly something we've seen at other races this year. Um, I'm just uh, referring to my notes that I circulated among the broadcasters on Friday. Let me see if I can read you verbatim what I said and see if uh, <laughs> see if I'm uh, Nostradamus or not here. Yes, here's fun. The preliminary findings suggest that Valtteri Bottas will again outpace Hamilton on a track that is arguably his best in F1. <laughs> but Bottas, Leclerc and Verstappen all ran softs at the end of this session and it was Leclerc who came out on top when averaging the lap times. So there it was in black and white. Um, when digging down into the numbers, Leclerc was bossing it on the soft tyre. Mm-hmm. Now, um, how that translated to the medium tyre, um, it, it was it was tough to tell because we didn't get a, a very good sample set. But certainly, on the short amount of laps they ran on the medium, the Mercedes looked a lot stronger than the Ferrari on the medium tyre, um, which probably partially explained their decision to qualify on the medium tyre. To talk about that Q2 in particular, were you surprised that Ferrari didn't think about cutting off that avenue for Mercedes by using the set of mediums in that session. It could be that Ferrari also took the soft tyre because they wanted to maximise their start. And knowing that Ferrari's big strength was the run down to turn two, coupled with the fact that track position um, is pretty important on this racetrack. If they if they start on the soft tyre, they knew they could maximise their run down to the well, the second corner, as it is officially, the first corner in all for all intents and purposes. Um, and certainly, you know, we saw every bit of that because the Mercedes starting uh, on the medium compound tyres were, were even gobbled up by the McLarens, whereas the Ferraris were out front 1-2 early on and then possessions nine-tenths of the law. Once they've got track position, they can control the race. Unfortunately for them, of course, the power struggle became an internal one as opposed to battling other teams. They found that the two drivers were in direct conflict with each other. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, I think, is exactly what Sebastian Vettel must have been thinking at the early part of this race. Of course, the main draw for the first half of this race was Ferrari. They had the fastest car in qualifying, obviously. Charles Leclerc got it on pole by four-tenths of a second, and, and Sebastian Vettel had started third. Third for Vettel, though, despite him looking a little bit rattled after qualifying, ended up being the perfect position because you're right behind the leader, you're on the clean side of the grid, and he got a beautiful slipstream down to the first braking zone. 
And Ferrari had already thought about all of this, hadn't they? Because there's the spectre of this agreement that they had. And we love a good pre-race agreement in Formula One, I think, throughout the course of history. Did not go the way they'd planned, though, because with Vettel in the lead, he wasn't so willing to give it up to Leclerc as apparently they'd agreed to do. And there, of course, like all debates, seem to be two sides. Those who say, well, of course, he should have honoured straight up this agreement. But the arguments he was making, I guess, did stack up, didn't they? First of all, that he seemed faster than Leclerc, and then, of course, that Hamilton was not so far behind. Well, yes, and Vettel, I would sure, I'm sure, must have known that uh, two years ago, Valtteri Bottas started third on the grid and led into turn two on this racetrack and won the race. So he must have known, starting on the soft tyre, um, with uh, Hamilton on the front row on the medium tyre, that he was going to be a sitting duck. Ferrari had much more straight line speed. So at some point on Saturday afternoon, the team has gone, look, you're going to get past Hamilton. <laughs> the only guy in front of you is going to be the other Ferrari. At that point, you're going to have this massive slipstream. What we don't want you doing, Charles, is move, cutting across on Vettel, bumping his front wing off, or worse still, bumping both of you off. Uh, therefore, you're going to have to come up with some uh, arrangement here. Charles, if you play, you know, play a straight bat, you know, don't uh, don't try and get in Sebastian's way, uh, and then we'll have it made into turn two. We won't have any outside interference from the Mercedes guys, and then after that, we can do the old switcheroo, and then you know, all is well. Okay, yeah, no problem. Um, in reality, of course, Sebastian's got a little bit of previous <laughs> when it comes to, let's say, misunderstanding <laughs> team instructions. Should we call it that? <laughs> I'm sure as an Australian, you need a no introduction to the whole uh, multi-21 situation. There's a commemorative coin all about it, I'm sure, somewhere. Yes, <laughs> yes. So once Vettel got the lead, uh, he thought, actually, I kind of like it out here. It's kind of <laughs> cool being up front. Uh, I'm not so keen on giving it all up. Um, and he was right. I mean, he was. Uh, there was a point there where he was four seconds up the road. And you must say that like, if, he, if Leclerc wants the lead, come and take it. Where is he? You know? Um, if Vettel's the faster Ferrari, then why does he have to uh, cede position to Leclerc? I don't like to assign blame because I don't know. I wasn't in the meeting. So I don't know what was agreed or not agreed. And we should be very careful about assigning blame based upon a conversation that we never heard. Now, as we do move towards that pit stop window, as you said, Charles Leclerc, lap 22 was when he came into the pits. And conveniently enough, it was four laps later that Sebastian Vettel was called in for his own stop. Ferrari insists this was more precautionary than anything else, despite the fact that Vettel said his tyres as well were, were starting to feel quite worn. It is difficult, though, to feel as though this wasn't the team really taking into its own hands, if you like, the, the order of the leading drivers, because really there didn't seem to be that much performance logic to keeping Vettel out at that point, given he was starting to lose time to Hamilton. Yes, uh, and uh, as, as much of that was Hamilton stepping up the pace as it was Vettel losing the pace... At that point, I was starting to wonder, had Mercedes sold them all a dummy in terms of tyre degradation? Were they just bluffing on tyre deg and saying, oh, we've got wear, this, that and the other, and waiting for Ferrari to pit? And then they were just going to unleash this huge uh, overcut situation and they were going to win the race that way. Uh, in the end, we didn't see that because, of course, Vettel's car broke down. And uh, that triggered all the subsequent events that basically threw out. You know, the, we ended up with a we ended up with a race of two halves, which, which you know, need, one first half didn't bear resemblance to the second half either strategically or in a sporting sense. Um, and certainly Leclerc's times 
indicated that he well, he was going to be comfortable he was going to be comfortable in the lead whenever all these guys pitted but uh, that's uncharted territory we didn't see we didn't run far enough on a friday to, to answer that question and we didn't run far enough in the race without a safety car to answer that question either while we can say that that luck really played a part here because once sebastian vettel made his stop on lap 26 lost the lead to charles leclerc and almost immediately retired with an mguk problem with an electrical problem uh, the, the safety car subsequently was triggered and, and the Mercedes drivers were able to make a very cheap pit stop. Personally, I, I think um, Ferrari had the better strategy and Ferrari just got tripped up. It was it was all going well until suddenly it wasn't. It, <laughs> it was, you know, Leclerc's race was undone by Vettel's retirement. So the whole thing starts and ends with Ferrari. You know, that Ferrari had the race in their hands and then it was like Keystone Cops, you know, as things started <laughs> to go wrong for them. Which is a shame. I mean, they did, I don't think they the, the the only thing they did the only thing they did that I thought was genuinely a mistake was during the safety car period yes. when they dilly dallied on whether or not to stop Leclerc. This was the strange and potentially decisive, depending on how you want to analyze the the flow on permutations from from stopping or not stopping part of the race. Because when the safety car came out, triggered for George Russell's um, somewhat mysterious crash when he, he locked up a brake, essentially, and, and hit the barrier, triggering a safety car. Ferrari did not stop immediately. Now, the gap from Charles Leclerc at that point in second place to Valtteri Bottas behind him in third was around 12 seconds. Maybe not quite enough to make a safety car stop, but certainly enough to try. But it wasn't until the end of the following lap that they brought him in for that set of soft tyres, throwing away second place, for third, but ultimately gambling on what might have turned out to be an ideal situation of victory with those tyres. Why was it that they waited so long? Is there any hint? Is there any clue? Was it some gamesmanship with Mercedes, perhaps? Because otherwise it doesn't make a lot of sense to wait until the field is bunched up to make that stop. No, it doesn't. I, I think they must have looked at the situation and thought, OK, Leclerc's on mediums, Hamilton's on softs. In that situation, you would normally think the guy on the medium tyre is going to have the race come to him at the end. Um, in in Sochi's terms, with such with such low deg, that soft tire is probably not going to go away quite as badly as it would at another racetrack. So they probably undenied about that. But then they thought, well, Botas might get Leclerc for second at some point as well on that faster tire. What if we bring in Leclerc, put the soft tire on, drop behind Botas? And given our pace in the first part of the race, we could end up passing both of these Mercedes and win the race. It's important to remember at this stage that for, for Leclerc and Ferrari, the championship is essentially gone. So, you know, racing for a safe second place, not really what Scuderia Ferrari is about. So with the championship not on the line, it was worth the risk of saying, hey, look, we're going to be second. We're not going to pass Lewis. Who cares? Why don't we go for a more aggressive strategy and if it works it works if it doesn't we're third who cares like you know if we don't win the race whether you're second or third no one remembers so and the, and of course the race was already going away from them at that point because Vettel was out of the race so Leclerc didn't have anybody to you know to, to to work with or to act as a spoiler so it was it was a one-man band by that point that was the 29 russian grand prix but what should we expect in 2020 the sochi circuit is of course another power sensitive track which means we should expect mercedes to be strong as usual in race trip it's also very low degradation being extremely smooth as a result of it being a relatively new circuit 
One-stop strategies have dominated this race in the past, so Pirelli has brought its softest compounds, one step softer than last year, to this weekend's race to try and spice things up a little bit. The medium and hard tyres will likely form the spine of race strategy. Finding the pace to qualify with the medium tyre in Q2 could prove key at a circuit around which track position comes at a premium. The key will be tweaking wing levels. The 2020 car has so much inherent downforce that trimming the wings, as was the battle in Spa, to maximise straight line speed without affecting traction out of the 90 degree bends of the final sector will be the order of Friday. I'll be back to analyse all the action from Russia next week. Until then, you can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Twitter for our regular pre-race strategy guides. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you next week for a review of the Russian Grand Prix.